Welcome to the podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd also like to invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 8.30 or 10.45, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. So listen to the word of the Lord as it comes to us from the Gospel of John, also called the fourth gospel. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do aside from the presence of God. Hmm. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. What an unusual conversation follows between Jesus and Nicodemus. Especially in the Gospel of John, we find that the conversations Jesus has with people are often very disconnected, and certainly that's the case here. So Nicodemus approaches him at night, and he mentions these things to him and says, we think we know that you must be But then Jesus responds by saying something really kind of strange and totally unexpected and totally Juliatized. He says, look, this is really important. No one can see the kingdom of God who has not been born from above. Now, some texts read that is not who have not been born again. And so Nicodemus rightfully says, well, that's crazy. Again, Juliatized. How can that be? How can someone old be born again? And then Jesus says, look, this is really important. And Nicodemus says, how can someone enter into his mother's womb and be born a second time? But not to be deterred, Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and water gives birth, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And then he says, you should not be surprised by my answers. You should know them if you're a teacher And he makes another peculiar statement. The wind blows where it will, and you have no idea where it's going or where it's coming. And so it is with everyone who is born by the Spirit. And Nicodemus says incredulously, what? Juliatized. And so, as young people, my kids today would say, Jesus kind of threw some shade on him meaning he kind of got him told a little bit. He says, you're one of Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? We speak of what we know and we've testified to what we've seen, but you people do not accept my testimony. I've spoken to you about earthly things and you don't get it, so how are you going to get it when I speak to you about heavenly things? And then he goes on to say a little bit more. 
So what do we know about Nicodemus from this unusual exchange in chapter three? Well, we know that Nicodemus was a member of what we might call a denomination called the Pharisees. There are different denominations of Jews, just like there are of Christians. He was a member of the Pharisees, and not just any member, he was a religious leader among the Pharisees, and we can presume that he was probably fairly wealthy. Because they believed that wealth was a sign of God's favor and that God would only give you favor if you were favorable in God's eyes, then it makes sense someone of his standing was probably fairly wealthy. And we know he was afraid. And we know this because the author of John's gospel makes a really big point of telling us when Nicodemus approached Jesus. Was it smack dab in the middle of the day? No. He came at night. Why? Because he didn't want his fellow Pharisees and the other leaders in his religious community to know that he was even considering following Jesus, much less to hear him proclaim that I know you must come from God because no one can do these things aside from God. And so he came at night. Now, after Jesus had this really unusual conversation with him, He doesn't make any pronouncements, he being Nicodemus, doesn't make any big pronouncements about who Jesus is or is not. In fact, he just kind of disappears until chapter seven when he almost defends Jesus. But before we can get to chapter seven, we have to go back to chapter five. Now, we see in chapter 5 that people have gathered in Jerusalem for a religious festival. And I will be very quick to point out, it is not like a Louisiana festival. (laughs) Have you ever been to a crawfish festival? And the peach festival is fabulous, I'm just saying. But this is a religious festival, and pilgrims come from all over to Jerusalem And so they've come to this sacred place, this sacred house, the temple. They've come to Jerusalem and Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem and he walks by this pool called Bethsaida. And Bethsaida is a pool that the waters will occasionally just bubble up and stir up. And so it has a long history of people who are lame or blind or ill or paralyzed being taken and placed in those waters. Some people believing that it was the angels of God that were stirring up those waters and they would have healing effects. And so Jesus walks right by this pool at Bethsaida. And he sees a man who's on the mat. And I think that's just remarkable in and of itself because you know there are tons of people there. If people have come in for the festival, they're going to come in and want to crowd at that pool. But there is this man. And Jesus knows he has been unable to get into the pool. He has been ill for 38 years. 
years. And so out of compassion, Jesus walks over to the man and he basically asks him if he wants to get well. And then he says, take up your mat and walk. And so he did. He took up his mat and he walked. But there was one significant problem. The religious leaders, the Pharisees around the man, later in the day, watched him walking with his mat, and they were furious because he was walking with his mat on the Sabbath. Now, keep the Sabbath holy is not just in the list of rules. There's lots of rules in the Bible. It's not just one of those in the rules. It's the fourth of the Ten Commandments. Keep the Sabbath holy. And what does that mean? It means that just as God rested on the seventh day to keep the Sabbath holy, we have to rest on the seventh day. And so then there's all kinds of conversation about what it actually means to rest. And the biggest issue is you cannot do anything that would be perceived as work. And carrying a mat is apparently considered work. A no-no for Bowden. Now I'll give you kind of a modern day example about this. Because there are still denominations of Jews for whom this is uh, very serious. Did you know that on the Sabbath it is considered work to turn a light switch on and off? And so now in today's modern era, who knew that you can build houses with built-in timers? I'm just saying. So you don't have to turn on a light on the Sabbath. And I heard from Bill Jones earlier, and I know this to be true, that before we had uh, timers, Jews used to pay Gentiles, called goyim, boys, to come and turn the light switch on for them. So this man was guilty of work a huge violation of the fourth commandment. So then they ask him, well, wait a minute. How did you come about carrying your mat anyway? Who healed you? And he says Jesus did. And then they find out that Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. Oh my, heavenly stars. Jesus has healed on the Sabbath and that must constitute Work. I'm so glad y'all respond. (laughs) Work. So they're furious. He has committed a major offense in violating the fourth commandment. And so then when they talk to Jesus about it, and they're upset, they talk to Jesus about it, you know what his response was? He said, look, my father is still working on the Sabbath, So I'm working on the Sabbath. In other words, he took a bad situation and just made it a whole lot worse. Because now not only has he 
violated the fourth commandment, he has dared to equate himself with God. Absolute blasphemy, and it will not do. The only appropriate punishment for that kind of egregious breaking of God's law is death. So now we fast forward to chapter 7, and it's another festival. This time it's the Festival of Booths or Tabernacles, which is a seven-day festival in October to celebrate the harvest. And pilgrims have come from all over the place. And so Jesus is asked by his brothers if he's going to the festival, and he says, no, it's not my time, meaning he is aware that there are those who want to kill him. So he says, no, you all go ahead. But because Jesus is Jesus, he gets to change his mind. And so he changes his mind, but he goes to the crowd, he goes to the festival in secret. And he listens to the gossip about him. And what he discovers is there are two camps. Some who think Jesus is doing a great job and must be of God, and others who think he is deceiving the people and he should be put to death. But they wouldn't say that openly, just like Nicodemus. They wouldn't say it openly for fear of the leaders, the Jewish leaders. And so they just said it amongst themselves. Well, then smack dab in the middle of the festival, Jesus changes his mind again, and he goes to the temple and he begins teaching. And the people there are stunned that he knows so much even though he has never been taught. And so one of the things he says to them is he says, the teaching isn't mine, but the one who sent me. And he went on to point out that they did not know as much as they thought they did. And then he says in a loud voice, oh, and by the way, I know you're trying to kill me. (laughs) Which of course created even more controversy. So then, they huddle up in debate, the religious leaders, very much divided. And so Jesus wants to make sure they get his point, and he says one more time within their hearing that he knows God because God sent him. So then we fast forward a little bit further and the people, the religious leaders are so outraged they call the temple police to arrest Jesus. And this is what they say. The temple police apparently have a conversation with Jesus and they come back to the leaders of the Pharisees but without Jesus. And they said, oh my goodness, you have basically been caught under his spell. Don't you know that he comes from Galilee and the Messiah cannot come from Galilee? Nothing good comes from Galilee. Because they knew the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. So, they continue to argue and they're just about to pronounce a sentence on Jesus. When our old pal Nicholas Odemus speaks up. Now we know he's there because he's one of the leaders, part of the ruling council. 
Now, he doesn't exactly defend Jesus, but he does ask them about their own law. He says, isn't it against the law to act upon a man without first questioning him to see what he's been doing? And then they say, wait a minute. Don't tell us you're from Galilee because you know nothing good comes from Galilee. And then the scene cuts and picks up a whole new story. So we fast forward finally to chapter 19. Jesus has just been killed. And Joseph of Arimathea, about 20 miles from Jerusalem, Joseph of Arimathea asks Pilate if he can take Jesus' body down and bury it. And Joseph of Arimathea is given permission to do so. And so he takes Jesus' body, and then lo and behold, it is the very same Nicodemus who had shown up originally at night, who almost defended Jesus, who now invests his own time, his own reputation, and his own money to purchase 100 pounds of spices and linens with which to anoint and wrap Jesus' body. In the other Gospels, the story is shared a different way, but in John's Gospel, it is Nicodemus who takes that honorable task. And so Nicodemus, once so afraid, finds himself now one of the last to touch the body of Jesus. And not at night, but in the day. Now you might say, why Nicodemus? Is it because he eventually found his courage? No. Is it because he was one of the last to touch Jesus and to anoint him and provide the spices and the linens for his burial? No. For me, he is an unlikely hero because, as Scripture is always wont to do, Nicodemus is a mirror. What I find so utterly remarkable about him is that Nicodemus, initially afraid, did not stay in that same relationship with Jesus. His understanding of who Jesus was and what it meant to be a disciple is not something he simply got. Some people heard Jesus say, follow me, and that was the end of that. They got up, they followed Jesus. But most of us are not like that. What is so compelling to me is that Nicodemus understood what I hope we all do which is that to have a relationship with Jesus involves more than believing in him. Jesus doesn't want believers. He wants disciples. He wants followers. He wants people who are willing to say, my understanding of you today is not sufficient. And I have an expectation that my relationship with you and my devotion to you will be increased 
this time next year compared to this time this year. And it doesn't mean that it's a straight line. Sometimes to engage more fully in who God is and who Christ is causes us to have questions, but that's part of a growing faith. But it's just so easy to say, Lord, I love you, you love me, we're good. But that's not what Jesus asked. Jesus asks for us to take responsibility for our own faith development to say Lord I even if I don't want to know you more then I'm going to pray to want to know you more I might not know a lot of scripture but Lord I'm going to pray that I want to know more scripture I don't spend time very much in prayer but I'm going to pray that I would want to spend more time in prayer I don't serve you unless it's convenient or there's something in it for me, but I'm going to pray that I will want to serve you when I gain nothing in return. Nicodemus reminds us that complacency is never an option in our relationship with Jesus. Never. And if we want to be the best possible people equipped to reach the non-churched and the under-churched and the no-churched and the people who do not know Jesus, then we better be investing in our relationship with him. And if that doesn't get an amen, I don't know what will. I noticed there were some, not some amens. Because it requires effort. But if we come to church and think it's just about this, we've missed the point. Jesus says, I love you that you might have life and life abundantly. But that abundance requires, demands an investment in him. And if you agree, say amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.